welcome to the brand new podcast from Bucks and Bucks FA, the grassroots football coach. On the podcast, you'll hear coaches talk about their journeys in football, from discussing their philosophies to practices on the trainer pitch and everything else in between. This podcast will give you an insight into the life of a grassroots football coach. On each episode, Mark Rivers will be posing questions and topics and sharing his own experiences. Mark is an FA County coach developer and has been with Bucks and Bucks since 2017. On the first episode, Mark is joined by Reading FC Community Trust Manager, Dave Evans. On the pod, Dave will share his experiences from the beginning of his coaching journey to now and what role the Community Trust has on football in their local area. So put the kettle on, grab some custard creams and enjoy our first pod. Hello and welcome to the eagerly anticipated Box and Box podcast. I'm here with David Evans, who is the Football in the Community Trust Manager. Is that right, Dave? That's correct, yeah. Um, Dave's someone that I've known for probably a good 20 years or so. 20 plus, I think. 20 plus years, yeah. Um, And we started off working at a sports centre together. Yeah. It was probably my my first um, introduction to to coaching. So, um, Dave, uh, if you can just tell us a little bit about your your history and how you got into coaching. Yes, I... um when I was young, I was in Birmingham, I played football in Birmingham, um, moved to Wales when I was about 12. And um, when we were at Wales, we had like a, um, a guy that I knew set up his own coaching um, camps where we had kids coming from Slough, Maidenhead in the summer. And I started coaching. I started playing, uh, went to West Bromwich Albion on trial, thought I was going to be a player, obviously wasn't. And then, so I got my coaching background in, in Wales, did a lot of coaching, and then moved to Reading when I was 18, went to Loddon Valley Sports Centre, worked there for nine years as, first of all, as a centre attendant, then as a supervisor, assistant manager or duty manager, and then as a sports development officer. So w- within Loddon Valley, really, I got my coaching qualifications. Main one was football, but as you know, I did aerobics. Trampolining. Trampolining, line dancing, yep. which is, we keep that one quiet. <laughs> um but then worked in the gym. So I think uh, did things like tennis and, you know, personal training. So I think it gave me a real good grounding for, as you know, for, for coaching, getting in front of people and, and, and actually coaching. Um, yeah, as I said, Dave, as I alluded to there, you were my sort of first uh, um, sort of inspiration, if you like. Thank you. Um, into, into the road of coaching and... Um, Someone that, you know, I hadn't even really thought about doing any sort of form of coaching before. Um, I got into football coaching and things like that. And then I ended up going down the trampolining route and the gym. And before you know it, I was doing everything at Loddon Valley. Um, But I just wanted to ask you what sort of coaches you admired back then. Um, Whether it was someone in Birmingham, Wales, when you were growing up. Who were your sort of inspirations? Uh, I guess, like yourself, I my dad was a big role model. My dad was a big role model for me. And um, he took one of our teams one time. Um, I think um, when I went to West Bromwich Albion, there was Nobby Styles, who who just uh, was just different, different class. He was the way he spoke to us. He was he he was a real nice person, real yeah. nice person who obviously been there, seen it, done it. Yeah. And he, he he he. But but my main inspiration, I suppose, was down in Wales. Was a lad called Chris Franklin, um, who now one of my trustees, Richard Holiday, was a coach. And watching them coach and seeing the interaction they had with the kids was really good. Mm. Um, and 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 then Neil Smiley, 
um, who who I met Neil um, when I was coaching at a school in um, in Reading. Yeah, he was the one that uh, eventually took me up to Wickham Wanderers. Um, but I think um, I think I think I fell into coaching like yourself. I, I wanted to be a player. Wasn't good enough to be a player. Um, I'd been to some college courses, done a bit of like sport stuff. Um, but I really enjoyed the coaching side. And, um, and, and and there's been different coaches that I've met on the way, both at Wickham and at, and at Reading, that I would say have, have, who I would look at and say, you know, they're, they're, they're and grassroots coaches, not, not, not just pro coaches, you know, grassroots coaches. But what, what would the sort of fundamental differences be between those coaches? Because I often look back at um, my first, first experience of being coached, which probably wasn't until, it was very late, probably about 15. And the coach that worked with me at the time was very uh, command style. So he'd have this cap that he used to wear. And I remember it being cold Tuesday nights and he used to get so frustrated. He used to take the cap off, throw it on the floor. What's up with you lot? You can't do it. Um, but I look back now and actually he was he was an inspiration for me because I'm, I'm, I'm probably a total contrast to how, yeah. how he was. Um, but yeah, very command style, my way or the highway type coach. Um, so I just wanted to ask you what the, what you saw as, as as the differences because for me now it's it's the sort of all encompassing coaches that um, understand the group of players that they're working with, um, understand the different learning styles, yeah, and understand as a coach when you have to change your style, depending on the needs of the group that you're working with? Uh, I think t- coaching different sports and watching different coaches, there was a trampoline coach, don't you remember him at, at Loddon Valley? And he was quite strict, but but had the attention of the group the whole time, at, you know, all the time. Did good demos, um, made it simple. And I looked at him and I thought, he ain't bad. He's, you know, he's got the group all the time. And, and then there was a gymnastic coach who was really friendly with the kids. She was really good. She was a mum. And you could see that she had the kids' best interest at heart. Um, so, so, and then there was a aerobics instructor that I did a fitness class with. And the way she spoke to the class was really good. It was, it was lively. It was energetic. It was, so I think you don't always get that in football. You have to go away and do other coaching sports. And, 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 and then you see football coaching, um, uh, playing, you know, for the likes of Pepe, I've been feel Wokenham and, and and the the likes. You 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 get very command style coaches who I think are who who, who didn't know any better then. Yeah. Do as I do, and this is what you do. And I wasn't that kind of player. I needed an arm round to say you're the best player in the world and all that kind of stuff. And then you'd probably get the best out of me. Um, it did me no harm though, because I think I think sometimes you know it it it, it helps you develop. Um, but it probably wasn't until I got to Wickham, Neil Smiley, like I said, was was a good inspiration where I actually saw now how his interaction with the, the youth team was really good, how he worked with young players. And um, you could actually have a joke and, and actually have a relationship and have a chat to him um, rather than be this person who was really standoffish. Um, so, so, yeah, and you look at, you know, you look at the football world now and you see the difference between Wenger, you see the difference between Ferguson, you see the difference with Allardyce. I think some people get confused with a manager and a coach because I think they're two separate things. I think yeah. coach is, is, is totally different to a manager. Which actually leads me on, Dave, to um, your sort of coaching philosophy. 
Um, and and has that, would you say that that would have evolved over the years? Because I look back into when I first got into to coaching and I had, a, you know, it would have been typically a 4-4-2 if I was coaching a team and there's a way that I wanted them to play. Um, and now I, I think, you know, with the FA and their, um, you know, their DNA, that I've probably evolved, and I know I have as a coach, and uh, my philosophy would be completely different than it was 20 years ago, or even 10 years ago, five years ago. Yeah. Um, just give us a flavour, Dave, of, of, of your sort of coaching philosophy. And I know that you've worked with elite teams, you've worked at the academy here at Reading Football Club, but equally you've worked and you still are working at yeah. grassroots level as well. Um, and within, within the academy and when I, was, when I was a young coach, my coach always said you had to have a ball each. And you had to master the football before you could do anything else, and 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 I do believe in that still. I I you know sometimes people pass, but they don't pass for a purpose. They pass because the responsibility they're passing over to a different person. They don't want the responsibility, so they quickly pass it. And some people see that as a good thing, but as a, 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 as a development, it might actually be a bad thing because when he gets to twelve or she gets to twelve, you're now saying take them on, take the player on, and they can't because they spent the last five years passing the football. So I think it's trial and error and, you, you, you know, I take my under-15s down, I do my under-10s and we play. We play from the back, we pass it back to the goalkeeper, the goalkeeper passes out wide, we can dribble when we see it. I, I say to them things like, um, see what you can do, show me what you can do. Um, I don't shout defend, I shout things like, what position you're playing? Because I'm more asked questions now because you trigger something off in their brain where they've got to think about it. I, I think that's probably... <sighs> You know, knowing you as a person, as a coach, and Dave, that's you know, you've clearly evolved because I think when we probably started coaching, it would have been a lot more of command style. Yeah, and um, I mean, I was always told in certain areas of the pitch, um, none of that fancy stuff. Get rid of it, um, get it up there, clear it, and all of that sort of lovely football jargon. Um, so, just listening to you there, it's it's uh, you know, it's clearly evolved. If nothing else, the language that you use, or I think also, Mark, to be honest, when I when I did men's football, so. I had to stop playing, as you know, when I was about 30 because of my ankle. So I did, I, I was an assistant manager at Wokenham and I was assistant manager at Binfield, men's team. And we were, we were fairly successful. Um, but men's football is about winning. So, so, so you are setting a team out to win the game, yeah. which is different. Mm -hmm. So we kids football, I've always set a team out to develop a player. So I won't win at all costs. I'll, it drives the parents mad sometimes because... Clear it, clear it, clear it. No, no, don't clear it. Actually, pass it back to the goalkeeper, mm. who's normally a player at our under-10s because we've got no goalkeepers. He'll pass it out wide because you then got to create an angle to receive the ball, and then you play the ball. So all of a sudden, the, 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 the junior side, the youth side, is all about development. The men's side is all about winning the game. And that's mm. where parents get confused. They think, you have to win the game. Mm. And, and that's when it all, you know, I have to educate the parents sometimes and say... I don't care if we win or lose. Mm. We're a fairly good team, and if we play well, we'll probably win lots of games. Mm. And then self-esteem is higher. You know, people who say, "Oh, it's not all about winning," you've got to think about the child's development. You know, and if you stream them right and you put them in the right um, ability category, they'll win games and lose games. So they'll get used to winning. They'll get used to losing. But winning also is a good thing because it, it gives better self-esteem, mm. people think better of themselves, mm. they're more confident. So if you manage it correctly, there's nothing wrong with winning, mm. you know, but it needs to be managed correctly. So, so I think the biggest thing I've learned, and, and it sounds simple, 
but you know, so as I do, is like I go back to it. Men's football, you pick a team to win and you change it in the game to win a game of football. Mm. Children's football is about developing and you might tweak something to give someone some game time or you might challenge someone because they're getting it too easy. That, you know, that, 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 that's what I try and do as a coach. What, what do you think about... Um Systems of of play, Dave. Um, you know, I know that Reading had um, and still have a very successful um, philosophy in their in their academy that's sort of bearing fruit now. When you look at some of the players that have signed professional contracts, um, so I know that you were sort of heavily involved in that. Um, can you just share some of your sort of knowledge? Yeah, I I, I think we played. Um, we, you obviously have the um, different foundation, like foundation stage, youth stage, pro stage. And with the foundation stage, it was very much me and my ball. Yeah. So um, the, the child had to master. I remember playing against Tottenham at like under nines. And wherever the playing Tottenham got the ball, he just took the player on. He didn't pass it. So if mm. he was at the back, he got to take a player on first. So he had to take a player on, then decide what he was going to do with the ball. But he had to take a player on. So Tottenham knew by the time that child was 12, 13, they were comfortable on the ball. So I looked at that. I thought, I quite like that. So we used to try and encourage them to take players on. And, um, and be comfortable on the ball. So later in their development, it was me and my ball and my team. So then you'd go, right, I master the football, but now I need to master the football, but play within the team. Mm. And then as you got older, it was me and my football and my team and the other team. So then you talk about when you're not in possession of the ball, when the other team in possession of the ball, how do you work together to get the ball back? Mm. As well as then, you know, you, you've already mastered the fact that you can work the ball. You've already mastered the fact that you share the ball with your teammates and what you're going to do. You're now mastering the next development on how you're going to work together when you haven't got the ball. So there's a like a methodical stages mm. and it kind of makes sense. Mm. And I think going back to coaching, and, and, and it's no it's no slow on any grassroots coach because I used to do it. You, your coaching session has to be realistic to a game. Yeah. Otherwise, children don't understand. They just think, oh, I'm doing a warm-up and a coaching session, but I want to play a game. If you can make it so it's realistic to a game, kids will understand the the link between the session and the game mm. and probably develop a, a better way. I think that's one of the things that um, um, I talk about now, delivering the sort of level ones, twos and B licence courses, how when I was first coached, it was you were almost threatened with the game at the end. If you did the coaching session right or well, um, and that would have consisted of big traffic cones that the coach got out of his boot, running to the first one back, second one back, third one back, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm talking now... You've eight, seen one of my sessions, haven't you? I've been a long day, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm talking now at sort of age eight or nine. <clears throat> so you do that for sort of 20, 25 minutes. Um, and then your uh, work rate would then determine whether you were rewarded with a game or not, which <clears throat> is ludicrous now to think of it now. Like that, but um, we, you know, certainly coming from the skills program as well, we did a lot of whole part whole. So, particularly in that five to eleven age range of, yeah. of, of arriving, coming and playing a game. You know, if there was two of you there, go and play one v one because guess what, one v one's happened in the game, or two v one. You know, how do you deal with some of those issues? Or if you're unloaded, un, uh, underloaded, you're the one against the two. How do you deal? How do you deal with that? Um, and I think it's something that some coaches, in my experience, have had 
um, not problems with, but find it hard to get their head around sometimes that you can arrive at a training session and play a game straight away. Yeah. Um, now, whether that's, uh, you know, uh, they're going back to how they were coached at that time and they're drawing back on their own experiences, I don't know. But it's something that I certainly believe in. And I, I, I mean, I, as you know, I, I was delivering level ones not too long ago. And as a coach educator, I took a lot of um, level one courses. My grassroots team now, we have coaching um, seminars by me and one of the other coaches. And one thing I've brought in is whole part whole. So I've, I've spoken to him and said look, exactly what you said. Because at the end of the day, the kids are coming, especially the, the little ones, they've got all this energy yeah. and they just want to play a game. So if, if you kill some of that energy off, first of all, and play a game mm. and maybe put some restrictions in, yeah. then you pull it back to the, the, the part where you're going to rehearse it and then you do the whole again and play the game. Yeah. We used to do, at Wickham, we used to do bite-sized sessions. So we used to do 10 minutes coaching, 10 minutes games, 10 minutes coaching, 10 minutes games, 10 minutes coaching, 10 minutes games. Mm. So the kids knew they were going to play a game all the time yeah. and they'd buy into the coaching. Mm. So yeah, I, I I like whole part whole, and the coaches that I've worked with at FC Woodley, the the, the, the grassroots team, um, they love it as well, and they and they see that, that they can see, you know, the sense in doing it. Uh, where I think some other coaches, if they haven't been down that pathway, only do what they know, and that normally means got to work hard, do some doggies, mm. you know, we'll have a shooting practice, which is unrealistic, big road, pass the ball into me, try and knock it in the top corner then we'll play a game, mm. you know, which, which, like we said, isn't really uh, realistic. Mm. So, Dave, going back to systems of play. Yes. Um, you know, so, so give us an example of, because um, I'm conscious there's, there's, there's a sort of plethora of coaches that are listening to this. You've got the grassroots section, some that are working in academies and the professional phase, etc. So I don't want it to be too elitist, but you're um, a, a great example because you've worked at that level, academy level, plus the, 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 the grassroots um, phase as well. So give us an example of um, some of the systems of play that you would have adopted and how they work across both. What I find with grassroots football... Um, it's really good, but I mean, I, I really do enjoy it. They try and stop. They, they try not to lose rather than to win. So they'll always have their defenders in place. So they'll always have either... When, when we played, we played six aside at Wickham and we played a 2-1-2. Two, two. So we played two in defence, one in midfield, two up front. Fulham did it. And we, I played a 2-2-1. Two, two, and Keith Styles, who we both know, Nobby, his team were battering me and I couldn't understand why they were battering me for it. And because it, it was Nobby, I was hating it. And I suddenly matched them like for like. We just went 2-1-2 two, two. and 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 it, and it worked so well. Mm. And and now I play, when I play my under 10s sometimes, last year under nines, which I think was six or seven aside, seven aside, I played two at the back, which I do now, but I always release one. So I say to my centre-half, they're always going to play one centre-forward you can be better than that centre forward. And and and, it, and and what it teaches them is one v one defending. So I think some grassroots managers want always want to cover there, a sweeper. Yeah. And I'm looking thinking, well, you're not really teaching your defender to do a one v one. Because if they're we again, I don't want to drop 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 clubs, but when we were playing at Reading, we played um under twelves, we um no, it wasn't under 12, I think it was under 9. It might be under 12. We played the international tournament and we played um, oh, a French team. I can't remember who they were now. I think it was a Dutch team. And um, they played one at the back. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And our centre-four was a big boy, Shamal, who now is a scholar. And Shamal was a big boy. 
and that the little like, tiny lad at the back. And we beat, I think it was Bruges, FC Bruges, and we beat them 1-0. But we beat them on power and pace. What we didn't beat them on was technical ability. Mm. And this 1v1 defender, he was, you know, they'd go and leave one at the back. And he'd have to defend 1v1. So I think sometimes you can get away with it with caddy football sometimes, but yeah. there's no reason why you... I think if you set the atmosphere right in, in grassroots football and you say, right, it's not all about winning, then the formations you play, it doesn't matter. You know, if you, if you want to work on... If you want to be a more of an attacking team, then put your two up front, you know, or have a diamond in there and, and you know, pass it back to your goalkeeper, your goalie comes out to the edge of the 18-yard box, use him as a sweeper, you know. Mm. But I, I think... You know, Simpsons we play now at under-14s. We play three at the back, we play five, and we play two up front. And the three at back, we're always split. And the goalkeeper gets the ball, passes it out. We take a goal kick. So our centre-half goes to take the goal kick. As he goes to take it, he dummies the ball and he runs to the edge by the corner flag. Yeah. The goalie plays it out to him. Of course, what happens normally, if you take a goal kick, everyone's in place. So the ball will come straight back. So if the centre-half goes out and now the goalie passes it, the centre-forward closes him down. So the other, between, the other defender comes, drops back. Passes, another lad comes out. So what you do, you pull them out of position, you move the ball around, and all of a sudden now we've got a one v one going on. Yeah. So it, it's, I know you can't see me doing that, but um, I, I think again, if people got away from this winning mentality where you have to win at all costs, I think then you would exp- allow children to express themselves. And, and I've been guilty of that before as a grassroots manager mm. and an academy manager sometimes because you, you want to win the game. And there's some games that you say you play in a cup final, semi-final, you want to win the game. But at the same extent, I think, um, you know, systems and styles, kids have to experience it. And then when they, if they want to go to elite football, want to get to a better player, I think it would, you know, hmm. we, we always want an educated player. We always want players who can make decisions. And I think by exposing them to different things, they have to make decisions themselves at times. Yeah, no, I agree, totally. Dave, talk about um, the contrast of um, ability levels from those teams that you've coached. So, you know, you're working with the academy players so that so that elite level, and then going down to grassroots level. How do you manage the sort of range of abilities w- within that group? And I, one example I've got is previously working at Reading Football Club, and we went over to um, a place called La Melinette in France, which is a feeder club to FC Nantes. But the, the coaches there did everything to time and had a whistle. And it would be, for example, two touch passing. We're going to go for a minute. And we got to a minute, blew the whistle and said, right, now we're going to go one touch. Now, the problem I have with that is, with a lot of players that I've worked with, all right, you'd have a third of that group that were ready to go one touch. But then two thirds are like, we, we can't do two touch. But historically, that was that was the way. Now we're going to move it on. How would you say that you've evolved as a coach to, to be able to deal with some of those different levels? And I know I mentioned academy football there. You're going to get that in there as well. The the, the, the uh, you know the difference of ability. Yeah. Give us some give us some ideas and tips for for managing that difference. Uh, we a good one. We we again at the grassroots club. We had a um, we've got four under ten teams. And at the time, they started at under sevens. And we had a boy that came... We had three teams at the time, like five aside, seven in the squad. And the one boy came, very timid, very timid boy. And uh, the first training session, his glasses got smashed. So I thought, he's not coming back. The second session he came, the week after, and he got kicked in the stomach. He got winded. 
and it, we had to, he was nearly been sick. So I thought, he definitely ain't coming back. And he came back the third week. And he, he, he had a real problem getting involved. He was very timid. So what we did, we ended up playing a bib on him. We played a game, but we gave him his own ball. So he had his own ball. So the yellows are kicking one way, the reds are kicking the other. He's a yellow, but he'd have his own ball. But when the ball, the other ball came towards him, he left his ball and went and kicked, joined in, but then went back to his right. ball. And then eventually he started playing. And my under, uh, Steve, the, the manager of the team, phoned me up. And the first time they played, he scored a goal. And he said Brilliant. he went absolutely yeah. balmy. Yeah. So I, I think if you put interventions in for, for that ability, then, you know, you just got to be patient with them. It's easy to coach good players, as you know. Mm. You know, because academy players, you have you have three or four coaches in age group or two or three coaches in age group. You can always pull people out and do a little bit extra with them. And it, it's a little bit easier. I think we grassroots. The hardest thing to do is coach a mixed ability team. And I think streaming is really important. So we've got four under 10 teams now in League One, right the way down to the Recreational League. So we can put people in their, their age, you know, the ability group and, and, and we can do that. Mm. But, but I don't think, I've watched a session once in Bracknell and I was doing the men's team. There was a kids team on the, on the other side of the AstroTurf. And the manager said, right, 15 minutes, one touch. And it was chaos, absolute mm. chaos. And, and they couldn't do it. But he thought himself that he was teaching those kids how to play football by saying one touch and making it hard for mm. them. It's like going into a mass room and saying, right, okay, everyone's doing your 17 times table. Off you go. Mm. And everyone looks at each other and goes, well, I can't do it. So, well, well I think also if you brought um, Messi and Ronaldo over here when they were growing up and said you're limited to one touch or even now, then it eliminates, you know, a massive part of their game. I, I think so. I think for me as a coach, decision-making... Yeah. You can't overestimate how important decision-making is. And what you've got to do is, is, is give children the experience of making those decisions. So we say we let them make decisions. Do we? Do we really let them make decisions? Mm -hmm. Is it when they're losing 4-0, then you say, right, that's what your decision-making is like. That's yeah. the manager giving up. Because yeah. sometimes they need your help more when they're losing. So I think decision-making is a big thing. And, and, and we underestimate that young players can't make good decisions because I think mm -hmm. they can. But I think in a training session, if you have your training session where they have to make decisions, when you play a game, you're more likely than to make the right decision rather than wrong decisions. Mm. And by the way, they can make wrong decisions as well. Yeah. Um, Dave, I want to talk about potential problems that you've encountered in a, in a training session. Okay. Um, because, again, you know, I remember back, and you alluded to it a second ago, about Neil Smiley. And I remember Neil Smiley saying to me about you as a sort of part-time grassroots coach, your job in terms of your preparation and organisation is a lot harder than mine as a first-team manager as he was then at Wickham Wanderers. Simply because I will plan out, this was Neil saying this, I'll plan out for a, a session with 16 players, I will have 16 players. If one's injured, I'll get someone in from the reserves or from the, from the youth team. Yeah. We'll play on... Um, you know, perfect pitches. We've got a bag of size, uh, size five, 15 balls all pumped up, brand new. Lots of uh, bibs. They've got refreshments there and everything. Um, you know, I'm conscious that the, a lot of these uh, grassroots coaches uh, are going to experience, you know, a lot of issues when it comes to that. So they might plan out for 16. They have 11 players turn up. They've got five footballs. Two of them are flat. Hmm. Um they get to the training venue and someone's using their, you know, their pitch. Um, 
What sort of issues have, have you sort of had to overcome and, and what would your advice be um, in terms of trying to overcome things like that? I, I think if I go back in the day, I used to coach, as a young lad, I used to coach a team in Lower Early um, and we trained over at a school and we trained in a sports hall, which is one badminton court with all the gym equipment around the side. Okay. So you had beams, you had crash mats, the kids were jumping off the monkeys, you know. Health and safety. It was chaos. And we had to do a coaching session in there, you know. And then I've had a, a lad who was off his head who threw in a rugby ball one time for me. He said, if you can play football, you can play anything. And he threw a rugby ball in there. And, and I looked at him and I just thought, no, no, don't. So we, we've had we've had situations, and as you know, as part of my job, we've done after school clubs as well. So you go to an after school club and you will have mixed ability and you will have 20 in a group and you will have kids who can't play football. You know, so you have to think on your feet very quickly and be able to do stuff there. And, and I think, sorry, that's the classic when you go to a school, it's pouring down with rain, you arrive and you say, uh, right, where are we? Um, well, it's raining, you can't use... The, uh, the school because there's someone rehearsing in there for a play. You can't use X, Y, and Z. And then that really tests you and tests yeah. your, um, you, you know, your ability as a coach to sort of impro improvise. Um, I, 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 I remember doing a session once over in um, White Waltham and uh, lovely school, great people. And they, they, they'd put pesticide down on the pitch or, or something down on the pitch. And they said, oh, you can use around the pitch. So they put cones around the pitch. And I looked and I thought, well, there was trees and benches around the pitch. Mm. I'm thinking, where where do you want us to play? Oh, around the pitch, around the pitch. Mm. And there's trees and benches around the pitch. Yeah. And we had about 40, 50 kids. And there's about three of us, four of us. And we played the hour around the pitch, playing like football tennis over the bench, yeah. you know. And it was crazy. But I think going back to grassroots football, I think um, one, of the, um, one of the things for me is if numbers don't turn up. Yeah. So you're... you're You'll predominantly get, um, you know, like you said, you you you, you want X amount, but, but, but they won't come. But I think the even even now, Mark, with with the experience I have, I have to write down a session, and I do it, and I do a session plan. So even tonight, with my under tens now, when I go to Woodford Park, I've got a session plan. I write it down, mm. even now, so I know what I'm going to do. Mm. So I think a lot of coaches will turn up, think they know what they're going to do, mm. and they don't know what they're going to do, mm. and then they panic. So I think if you write down what you're going to do, mm. I think it helps you so much. And it's something so simple, but I don't think a lot of coaches do it. And, and you know, it's prepared to fail or whatever the, the, the thing is. So I, I, all my sessions now, I will write down on a piece of paper what I'm going to do. Um, so, so I've got an idea straight. And I might change it depending on how the session goes. Mm. Um, and I think with experience, you get better at that. Mm. But I think, um, yeah, I think, and, and behaviour. I think a lot of, um, dads and mums when working with kids it's a behavioural thing right. it's a behavioural thing that that, that that they think by shouting at kid children yeah. is the best thing to do and and you know again with experience you've got to keep them occupied yeah. you've got you've got to keep them occupied and like you said at the end you said right if you don't behave you won't play a game at the end We've we've done a lot of stuff like that since my time at the FA. I've been here sort of seven, eight years, virgin eight, eight, eight years now, and uh, managing behaviours was is, was massive, and that's something that um, I've taken a lot from the various CPD events that we've that we've done, and and I think you're right. It's you know uh, going back when I first started, it would almost be like I'm going to control with my voice. So the louder I shout, yeah. um, they'll be quiet. 
and also things like you know the people that are constantly bouncing the footballs as you're as you're talking now is that someone who's being disruptive or is that someone who's saying to you look you're talking too much coach I'm ready to go here and this is how I'm showing you because I'm a kinesthetic learner and I just need to get going yeah um whereas I think in the past that would have been that someone that I'm gonna dig out for constantly messing about um you know and not respecting the session I had a time, sorry, Mark, I had a time once where I asked the kids to put the cones up. And um, twice this kid just looked at me and I didn't have a go at him, but I said, look, you need to put the cones up. His mum comes after she said, you know he's autistic, don't you? Mm. And, and, and I thought to myself, I didn't. I, I didn't know he was autistic. Mm. So, so I think you need to know your group yeah. and then you need to know how an autistic child might, might behave. You might, you know, if, if a child's got ADHD, you know, because they, their concentration spans especially kids with ADHD, is very limited, you know, like you said. So that bouncing the ball might be a sign, like you said, is I need to go. I now need to play football. And, I, and, you, and you're going to have very different learners in that group, aren't you? So I was probably one of those kinesthetic ones. Not, not so much bouncing a ball, but if the coach talked for too long, then I would probably get a bit bored and think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting fed up here. I need to do something yeah. different. So I think in your coaching armoury, you need to have or be able to cater for um, you know, those visual visual learners. So now, you, you know, we're seeing more and more of the sort of whiteboards and uh, laminates. There's a lot of coaches, certainly at this elite level now, that are filming games and, you know, can, can sort of revert back to that as a learning tool. Um, and then, you know, not forgetting to cater for those kinesthetic learners. So being able to go out and do the demos and do the practicals. Um, you know, again, I spoke about my coach at the start who, was, who, who did everything in an auditory fashion. You know, so he's catering for a third of the group there. And I was the one that was sort of standing at the back thinking, I've not got a clue what he wants, but at 15, there is no way I'm going to question him in front of my mates because they're going to laugh at me. So being kinesthetic, I'm going to stand at the back, watch, learn from what they're doing and then join in. Uh, I, it's good. What you've just said then is being a dad of four children, um, my sister-in-law is a teaching assistant and I was teaching my daughter to, 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 to read and I wanted to spell out the words. And what she actually said to me, my sister-in-law, was kids learn best by copying that's how they learn. They copy. So they copy the word first. And then, so you put that into a football sp uh, perspective or a learning perspective. If you only talk the whole time, mm. they've got nothing to copy. Mm. And, and, and what we do as football people or, or as learners, we watch other people. So how many people did the Cruyff turn? And mm. How many did the Maradona? How many people did the Scorpion kick? You know, yeah. So, so we, we learn best by copying, and that's what kids do. They copy, and, and I think within your demos you do, if you can't do it yourself, you get your best player to do something so that they, they, they aspire and they, and they copy people. And I think that's, that's always in my head, you know, am I doing a session? Am I doing demos? And if I ask them to do something, can I show them what to do so they can copy what I do, do it better, do it worse, but hopefully do it better? And then that will develop, that will help develop. Uh, what about um, like challenges, Dave? How are you with challenges? So, so within the FA, we're, we're, we're really big on it now. And in, in, in the session that I will do, I will, I will look at the group, um, identify certain players that, that need challenging, those ones that are forging ahead. Uh, there'll be certain players in the group that are 
striving to keep up is the term that we use now. Um, and then I will try and set challenges accordingly and make sure they're, they're realistic and achievable for those individuals within the group. Um, just talk about some of the challenges that you may use now or may have used in the past, if you do use challenges, because again, that was something that when I first started coaching, I wouldn't have dreamt of it. I would have, yeah. I would have spoke about the session that I wanted and the outcomes that I wanted, and I would have just wanted them to just get on with it. Um, I wouldn't have dreamt of doing these sort of um, drive-bys, as we call them, little individual interventions to set a challenge or, or, or get in the back four to one side and presenting them with a challenge to see if they can... They could they could accomplish so what sort of things would you do dave we, we, we had a workshop at reading around challenges and um within 15 minutes 20 minutes it got into a because no one knew what a challenging child was because everyone thought a challenging child was someone who misbehaved but like you said a challenging child could be someone who's forging ahead who's miles ahead of it. now we had a boy dan who plays for the football club here and dan was with me at under nines and under 12s and now he's, he's playing for England and, and everything else. And he's a very, very good player. And um, I was trying to set him challenges, but he took a corner with his right foot. It went over the crossbar. So he took it with his left foot and it went over the crossbar. So I'm thinking, hmm, he keep with both feet and he can take corners with both feet. He used to head of the ball, could tackle. He used to do reverse passes at nine. And I'm thinking, hmm, you know, he, he needs to be tested. Now, in an academy situation, sometimes you put them up in age group. So, so th there's more of a challenge there for them. Grassroots football, you can't really do that. Mm. So, um, and, and also it goes back to my grassroots football where you have to win the game. Yeah. And, and, and so the challenges go out the window a little bit because as a coach, you've got to remember that if you're setting a challenge for a child, people will always do things they can do. Mm. So I'll always revert back to something I can do because if anyone's watching me do something, I don't want to look bad. Mm. So... You know, when you're playing football and, you, and you're a left-footed player, some managers put them on the right side and say, right, see what you can do now. And they're having a bad game. Unless you set that environment where they can fail and get better, they're never going to get better on their right foot mm -hmm. because they're always going to revert back to their left foot and they'll be demotivated, their head will be down, the parents will have a go at them. So I think with academy football, you're right. You put in interventions like two-touch. You might say to them... Um, can you do this? Can you um, play off someone? Can you, as a team, can you move the ball around like this? Can you recycle the ball? Uh, individual players, can you play off one touch? So if I'm a centre forward rather than take a touch, I want you to hit it first time. So I want to see how many times mm. in the game, you know. Because I think uh, on a lot of these courses that I'm, I'm delivering on now, one of the things that comes up is actually challenging around um, those players that are forging ahead. Yeah. And the ones that, potentially, uh, uh, you know, dribbling and taking the whole team on. And then other players in the team, oh, he's not passing to me or she's not passing to me. So I think what springs to mind naturally is, when it comes to challenges, is, is the players that are potentially striving to keep up. But what about those ones that are forging ahead? And, and, and uh, Ben Bartlett, one of our national coaches, devised a session which I quite like about um, in, in, in the confines of a game that player that dribbles has to, as you said earlier, Dave, about making decisions. Now, you can either have one touch or you have two touches or more. So that's a way for me of, of, of saying to that player, you know, we're not going to stop you dribbling. Yeah. You're one of our, our gifted players, of course not. But potentially you need to recognise when and where. Um, so 
little challenges like that, I think, work work quite uh, well I, as well. I, I've seen the best players get penalised because yeah. they'll go in goal. They'll say, right, now you, you've done too much, you're going goal. Mm-hmm. I've seen dads then come out at an under nine saying, right, come and take me on then. Yeah. And you demotivate the child because every time he's got the ball, the dad tackles him and says, come on, you've got to be better than that. Well, he's never going to get around a 35-year-old, 13-stone man who's the boy's only nine or eight. So he's not going to do it. So you're setting an unrealistic... So you're penalising your best player. I've seen lots of that go on. And, right, he's got to go in goal now because he don't pass it. You, 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 you know, he, it's not his or her fault that they're good. You know, so like you, I would probably say, right, OK, once you've scored your umpteenth goal, now can you set one up for me? So what I want you to do now is play a little one-two or can you set someone up? So every time you score, set your partner up to score. Can someone else score in your team? Brilliant, well done. Now you can score. Now go and set someone else up to score. Can you now score with a header? Maybe, you know. And then some people might turn around and say, put him in the back, put him at the back, put him, put him left back. And, or put, and, and I think you've got to be more creative than that because, you know, you played football, Mark, and you were a decent player. So when you were younger, if you were the better player in your team, then, you know, it, it's no fun people turning around to you and saying, right, well, okay, he's got to come off now or, you know. And I, I've seen it. I've, I've seen it. And it's difficult for, for, for dads and mums because they've got the other team to worry about. Yeah. So so they've got one parent who's going to be great. They've got the other parents who are all going to complain about this boy. So sometimes, all this girl, so it's easier to move them on and have the teams. So you, and, and unless you're a grassroots manager, you, you don't realise the pressure and the grief you sometimes get from parents. Yeah. So... I think unless the parents buy into it. That's a really good point. And I think that's something I know that you would have probably experienced here at Reading with me and my ball and stuff like that. Um, You know, I've had it when I've spoken about it on courses where coaches have said, well, actually, I think they should be learning to pass at this age and do this, that and the other. Um, And I'm saying, well, hold on a minute. That's their philosophy you'll have a philosophy hopefully within your club that was Reading's philosophy at the time and now um, you know they're, they're seeing the rewards for that I think so the, the, the biggest thing I would say to any coach is that men's football is different to, to, to youth football yeah. and, and, and the reason why you put in these things for these, these philosophies and these steps is because it's a gradual step you know if a child a child isn't a pro footballer at seven and, and I've seen so many players that have peaked out. Boy, uh, at Wickham, great player. Everyone wanted him. Arsenal wanted him. Tottenham wanted him. West Ham wanted him. And in the end, Tottenham had him. Chelsea wanted him. And we sold him £20,000. And he played for England and all the rest of it. Superb player. You know, real good lad. Lovely family as well. But he probably peaked at 15, 16, to be fair. Yeah. And then when I was at Wickham on the pitch and he come, some person shouted at me, and he was playing for Stockport County. He couldn't get in the team. He was on the bench. And he'd done the circuit, playing for Maidenhead. And in the end, by the time he was, I, I think it was about 26, 27, I don't know if he was playing football. So, you know, uh, you're not a pro footballer at nine. And it was interesting watching the BT um, programme about uh, apprenticeships and, and, and young boys. You know, it is all about development. Development, 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 development. And then eventually when you get to that age you have to be ready then and even then you 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 know look you know some young developers you see some pros that don't make it until they're 21 22 because their body's not ready that they haven't developed properly and and it's the same with grassroots football and and everything else so i think you've got to be patient and like i said the, the men's football winning children's football youth football development
Okay, Dave, thank you. Um, we're going to go into our, our, our final section now, which is um, our quick-fire questions. So we've got 10 questions yep. that we'd like to, um, to a- present to you. Am I getting paid for this, by the way? Well, um, we spoke about this before, yeah. and we thought we, you know, we, we need a big guest, a big name guest for the first one. And you so you can get anyone, no? Um, so you got no, me. no, no. We've got you, but there's um, there's no budget left for uh, any courses in Barks and Bucks because we spent it all on you. Okay. Um, right. So, quick fire questions. Um, we just want you to give uh, to give one of the names. Um, we've got ten. So the first one is Guardiola or Mourinho. A Guardiola all day. Okay. Um, through the thirds or direct? I think there's a case for both, but the way I would do it is through the thirds. Okay. Um, question and answer or command style? Again, having coached, the, 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 you know, the, there is definitely an argument for both, but I think as a coach who wants to develop players, it's got to be question and answer. Okay, this one's from the practice spectrum. Constant or random practices? I would go constant. Repetition. Yeah, okay. Barcelona or Real Madrid? Barcelona. Foundation phase or youth development phase? (sighs) Oh, God. That's hard. That's hard. I I like both. Um, Let's go for... Do you know what, Dave? Before you answer that, um, I've had this conversation, I think it was with Ash the other day, but certainly when I got into coaching, for me, I wanted to go youth development or the professional phase yeah. and work with elite yeah. players. Now, certainly working in the skills programme in that 5 to 11 age range, you know, the, the, I, working with year ones and twos in schools and their imagination and uh, yeah. freedom of expression and everything is excellent. I, so I've definitely changed. I, I tell you what it is with me, Michael. So because I do my two teams, I love doing my under 10s because but I also love doing, I, lo- I love a game, like what, what you'd call a proper game as well sometimes. So um, can I say both? No, no, we're going to have to push you for, oh, for an answer. At this time, as I am at the moment, my age and what I'm doing, I'd have to go youth. You're going to go youth, okay. Yeah. Um, all right, striving to keep up or forging ahead. So we spoke about this before in terms of challenges. <laughs> Was it striving? To- striving to keep up yeah. or forging ahead. What? what uh, <sighs> um, again, <laughs> you work with elite players and it's great. But I'd have to go striving to keep up because because that's I, I think you would you earn your, your stripes as a coach to be able to develop young players who need that extra help. Okay. Um, stop stand still or drive by. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think one of the days where stop stand still. But but I, I do think again with Littlands you might have to show them more. But yeah, drive by. Pass or dribbler. You know me, uh, I never, I think I didn't pass it until I was about, what, 28, 29? Um, I, I, I have grown into passing more with youngsters and my under 10s, under 9s, they will pass the ball, but yeah, I, I do like the dribble. Okay, and the last question, number 10, is Premier League or La Liga? Yeah, no, I'm Premier League all day. I'm Premier League all day. It's, it's what I would brought up in, you know, I'm a Villa fan and in the 70s and, and the 80s and watching football and I just think there's too many, I think it's sometimes a bit, not fake, but diving around and everything, I think Premier League's proper. David Evans, thank you very much for being our first guest on the Barks and Bucks podcast. Thank you very much. 
And there you have it. Episode one of the Grassroots Football Coach Podcast is complete. Thanks to Dave for coming onto the pod to share his own experiences and pathway. Fantastic insight and I hope you all enjoyed it. Coming up on episode two, Mark Rivers, aka Rivo, is with Kent FA's county coach developer, Simon Millington, which is no doubt going to be another brilliant listen. So thanks for tuning in and see you next time.